WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to WRFI.org slash donate. Live from the Kenny Ritter Studios in the historic Clinton House in downtown Ithaca, New York, this is WRFI Community Radio News for Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. I'm Michaela Savitt. And I'm Maureen Gilroy. After the headline news, two Ithaca Voice reporters join us live to describe the events of a local Trump rally held over the weekend. They'll also discuss the recent defacement of the downtown Black Lives Matter mural. But first, here's the weather forecast, courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, mostly cloudy with lows in the lower 50s. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a chance of showers and a high near 70. Tomorrow night, chance of rain with lows dropping to the mid-40s. Looking ahead to Thursday, sunshine with possible afternoon showers and cooler temperatures. The high will be near 60. And now, here's tonight's news for Ithaca and Watkins Glen. In local news, a recent study out of Cornell shows that over a third of the misinformation surrounding the coronavirus pandemic has been fueled by President Trump. The study published last week analyzed 38 million articles from news organizations from all over the world that published their works in English. Researchers with the Cornell Alliance for Science studied articles from January 1st of this year to May 26th. They found that 1.1 million or nearly 38%, include mentions of Trump as tied to misinformation. The Ithaca Voice reports that conspiracy theories make up the bulk of the misinformation, among them so-called, quote, miracle cures, unquote, for COVID-19, calling it a Democratic Party hoax, among other claims. The study notes that overall, the statements and claims made by influential persons weren't necessarily verified or discounted. Researchers found that only 16.4% of the media reporting from that time period directly covered the conversation of misinformation. Looking at the local COVID-19 caseload, the latest numbers released today from the Tompkins County Health Department indicate that two people have been hospitalized as a result of the virus. There are five additional positives and four new recoveries. According to the County Health Department, that leaves 33 active cases of COVID-19 in Tompkins. In Schuyler County, there are no new cases of COVID-19 today after six new cases were reported yesterday. The number of active cases remains at eight, according to the Schuyler Health Department. Late last week, the villages of Watkins Glen and Montour Falls held a ribbon-cutting ceremony to celebrate the completion of a new, long-awaited shared wastewater treatment plant. New York Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul visited Watkins Glen Friday to help inaugurate the Catherine Valley Water Reclamation Plant, reports the Odessa file. Hochul, among with other dignitaries, cut the ribbon for the $32 million plant, which is shared between the villages of Montour Falls and Watkins Glen. The new regional system replaces 50-year-old facilities in each of the two villages. 
The former plants were costly to operate and did not meet federal or state water quality standards. The facility is able to treat up to 1.2 million gallons of wastewater every day. It uses environmental-friendly methods of treating wastewater, including the use of biological reactors that digest the wastewater before it's filtered and treated with ultraviolet light. The new wastewater facility was funded with a total of $10.3 million state grants, a $21.7 million low-interest loan from the New York State Environmental Facilities Corporation, helped finance the construction. In in addition to Hochul, other speakers at the ribbon cutting event were State Senator Tom O'Meara, Allison Hunt, the District Director for Representative Tom Reed of New York's 23rd District, and the former and current mayors of Montour Falls and Watkins Glen. Members of the Ithaca College Chapter of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, or GEB, a nonprofit organization that provides people who are blind or visually impaired, have for years participated in formal dog training. But due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the customary dog training has been delayed, according to the Ithacan. Normally, students begin training pups when they're eight weeks old and continue the training until they are 16 to 18 months old. Now, this year's cohort of trainee dogs will continue until they're 25 months of age. Maddie Guerrero, the co-president of GEB at Ithaca College, says currently 13 students are training 12 dogs. Seven of the trainers are living off campus in Ithaca, while others are living outside the Ithaca area. The Guiding Eyes for the Blind group has not been able to meet in person at Ithaca College, but continues to hold physically distant training sessions in Ithaca and through virtual Zoom meetings. They are also recruiting new members through Zoom meetings. New members will not be able to raise dogs until fall 2021. Ben Cauley, Director of Training for GEB, notes that the group has not had a problem recruiting student trainers. Cauley does indicate that GEB has had decreased numbers of people applying to adopt guide dogs, possibly because blind or visually impaired people are not leaving their homes as much during the pandemic. Two Cornell professors recently received a a nearly $780,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to develop a strategy to combat a bacterial disease that threatens U.S. apple and pear growers. The Cornell Chronicle reports that doctors Awais Khan and Carrick Cox, researchers at Cornell Agritech in Geneva, New York, will be working with collaborators from across the country to study the pathogen that causes blossom blight. Cox says that even just a few infected apple blossoms can lead to complete orchard devastation in just a few weeks. He will study the genetic response that occurs when researchers treat the apple trees with natural and synthetic chemicals to induce plant defenses that help the trees fight the pathogen. Khan will work to identify new genetic sources of fire blight resistance and isolate genes from cultivated and wild apples that contribute resistance to trees. He indicates that most of the newer apple varieties sold in the U.S. are very susceptible to the disease and that apple breeders are hoping to develop new varieties that both taste good and are more resistant. In some breaking news this afternoon, President Trump is calling for a cease to negotiations on a new coronavirus stimulus package until after the November election. Without more federal stimulus money, the nation's recovery from the virus could falter, the Associated Press reports. 
In other national news, the president returns to the White House from Walter Reed Medical Center, while Biden goes to Miami for an NBC News town hall and other events. More on the latest U.S. election news, courtesy of our friends over at Pacifica Network and the Public News Service. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 elections in uncharted territory. Why three objectives. One, to restore the soul of this country so we start acting with a decency that reflects who we are. Secondly, rebuild the middle class. And thirdly, unite the country. Former Vice President Joe Biden laid out his reasons for running and answered questions from undecided voters at NBC's outdoor and socially distanced town hall in Miami last night. Voters asked about a variety of issues, including how a 77-year-old white man can represent younger and more diverse Americans. I view myself as a transitional president. Is that one term? It's transition to your generation. You're the best educated. You're the most open. You're the least prejudiced generation in American history. Biden's tests for COVID are all negative, despite debating Trump for 90 minutes just a week ago. He wished the president a, quote, swift and successful recovery, unquote, earlier in the day but also made clear each individual's responsibility to take precautions seriously. There's been more than 100,000 new positives since Trump was admitted to the hospital on Friday. Dr. Michael Osterholm, an infectious disease expert at the University of Minnesota, advises caution. The campaigns need to very seriously consider the safety of their candidates right now. We're seeing a major increase in transmission of the disease. Before leaving Walter Reed, Trump tweeted, quote, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. Dr. Osterholm has a different message. Politicians, by very nature, are there to press the flesh and get close to people as part of the campaign. As an infectious disease epidemiologist, I'd tell you that is the worst thing that can possibly happen. The president's doctors say he'll be closely monitored at the White House. Meanwhile, his press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, tested positive for the virus. She spoke to reporters without a mask on Sunday. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, formally scheduled confirmation hearings for Trump Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett to begin next Monday. With three GOP senators testing positive for the coronavirus, the chamber is on a recess and Democrats are urging a delay. Here's Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. If it's not safe for the Senate to meet in session, it's not safe for the hearings to go forward. The Supreme Court started a new term yesterday. They declined to hear a case brought by a Kentucky County clerk who was jailed for refusing to issue marriage licenses to gay couples. Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito took the opportunity to forcefully criticize the original 2015 marriage equality case Obergefell versus Hodges, saying it makes religious liberty concerns easier to dismiss. Sharon McGowan with nonprofit Lambda Legal says the possibility of a third Trump appointee on the court raises major concerns about the future of LGBTQ civil rights. There is a warning in this decision that the conservatives on the Supreme Court are biding their time to find an opportunity to undermine the full promise of marriage equality from the Obergefell decision. From Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Lily Bolke. Thanks for listening at PacificaNetwork.org and PublicNewsService.org. And that concludes our headline news for tonight. Coming up, we're joined live with two local reporters will speak with us about the events of a local pro-Trump rally held over the weekend and the recent defacement of downtown Ithaca's Black Lives Matter mural. That's after the break on WRFI Community Radio News. Stay with us. The clouds are full now About to burst open wide house still 
Jenny Stearns with her song, Sing Desire, right here on WRFI Community Radio News. I'm your host, Michaela Savitt. Now, I have the pleasure of being joined live via telephone once again by Ithaca Voice reporter and WRFI contributor, Anna Lamb. Welcome back once again, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me again, Michaela. (laughs) And we are also joined by her colleague, uh, reporter, Matt Butler. Welcome back, Matt. Hi, thanks for having me again, Michaela. Uh, Monday night, the 5th of October, Anna and I were speaking about uh, her work as a journalist here and talking about reporting in the pandemic and reporting on the local protests for racial justice that have been going on for months now. And today, the three of us are going to talk about some of the events that happened over the weekend, which... um, you know, began with a ra- a pro-Trump rally on Saturday, and then on Sunday, uh, protesters were repainting this large Black Lives Matter mural that was on a street uh, in downtown Ithaca. Um, and just right off the bat, it is, um, it's not confirmed that those two events are connected, but we'll talk about both these events and uh, basically what you two... Uh, witnessed uh, over the weekend. So Matt, you were at the Trump rally that started in the Staples parking lot on South Meadow Street. Uh, Can you uh, speak with our listeners about uh, the scene? What did you uh, see there? Yeah, so I mean, it was a pretty, pretty vibrant scene over in uh, over in the parking lot. Um, They had, I'd say probably between 60 and 70 people gathered, which might be a little bit larger than um, people would expect for a Trump rally in Ithaca. Um, it did seem like a lot of the people were not from Ithaca, probably from some of the surrounding towns, um, and maybe from uh, from even some uh, you know, counties that were uh, that were close to us. But uh, but other than that, yeah, they you know it was a pretty big crowd. They had um, a big, huge uh, pickup truck that was leading them. With I believe it was a train horn attached, um, and then. They had uh, shirts and flags, all types of Trump paraphernalia. So it was it was an interesting scene. And Matt, you you mentioned that folks were coming in from outside the Ithaca area. Can you can you talk with us about, um, you know, what do you think? Why do you think that's happening? That people are coming to uh, such a uh, far, you know, a more liberal city such as Ithaca, being a college town and whatnot. Why do you think they're coming here to Ithaca specifically? Well, I think part of it, uh, from speaking to, um, I guess, one of the, the leaders of the march, Rocco Vicente, uh, who is himself a, a resident of Tioga County, I believe, um, he said that one of the goals, you know, for any rally is to have it in a place where there's a lot of people so that you can, you know, attract as many people as uh, as possible. And so he said that pretty much left either Binghamton or um, Ithaca. Um, and so they chose Ithaca. And I think, you know, Part of that also is that it is, uh, you know, so famously liberal and uh, and sort of uh, thinks of itself as such a progressive city um, that doing it here might have the potential to, you know, uh, sort of antagonize um, the the Democrats here a little bit more or the people who don't support Trump a little bit more. I think they thought it would be more effective to have it here where um, – where you know there's there would likely be some counter protesters as to as opposed to somewhere where they're likely to encounter uh you know just widespread support. Mhm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh 
And, you know, you were at the scene, Matt, as we were saying, uh, talk with us about um, the counter protesters that were at this pro-Trump rally on Saturday. What were uh, the interactions like that you witnessed? Yeah, for the most part, um, the the march did go off without a hitch. They marched uh, to City Hall. And then after that, they went to the Ithaca Police Department. But um, when they did get to City Hall, they were only able to get uh, across the street outside the public library on Green Street because uh, there was, you know, probably a, probably about 30 counter protesters um, saying Black Lives Matter slogans and, uh, you know, sort of the normal slogans that we've seen over the last couple months of protests, um, a lot of defund the police type of stuff, a lot of anti-Trump stuff. Um, and so those two groups squared off for, I would say, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Um, I didn't personally see any, you know, any interactions really between the two, uh, to, you know, to any large extent. I know there's been some stuff on social media that has said otherwise, um, but I haven't seen any, you know, any definitive proof of that. Um, there was some conversations, it looks like, between people who have led the weekly rallies in Ithaca that are, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter rallies. Um, and, uh, and Trump supporters, as I understood it, the uh, Black Lives Matter leaders, um, they, you know, invited some of the Trump supporters on stage for the Sunday rally. I don't believe they ended up showing up, but that was really kind of the main uh, gist of it. Um, there were, you know, a lot of chanting back and forth, uh, a lot of yelling and, you know, some challenging and posturing. But um, after about 30 minutes, the Trump marchers just moved on to outside of IPD where there weren't any counter protesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to back up for a second. You mentioned that a couple of the um, folks who were at the Trump rally were brought on stage for the weekly afternoon rallies on Sunday in the Bernie Milton Pavilion. Um, you know, did you speak with those organizers of the um, Black Lives Matter rally? Did they say why they, you know, why they chose to bring people up on stage and and they didn't end up speaking? Those those uh, pro Trump supporters. Well, I should be clear. They invited them on stage. Ah. I don't think those Trump supporters showed up, and I don't think they were on stage at any point on Sunday. Um, But I do know that, yeah, they were invited. uh, And what I got from uh, the leaders of uh, those, or some of the leaders of those rallies, which um, it was uh, Jordan Clemens, who certainly rose into local prominence, and uh, Yasmin Rashid, who now uh, is sort of one of the leaders of the Sunday rallies. Um, And they said that their main thing is that they – you know, they really believe in this kind of idea of dialogue as a way forward, as, you know, conversation as very powerful. And so they thought that inviting those people on stage, <clears throat> pardon me, would be a productive way for, you know, that group, which certainly hasn't been represented at the weekly rallies, to get their ideas across, to, um, you know, say what some of the problems they have with the Black Lives Matter movement were. Um, so they, you know, that is sort of, been part of their ethos for a lot of this, and uh, and they certainly stuck to it. But I do not believe the Trump supporters took the invitation. Mm-hmm. And for anyone just joining us, we are joined via telephone with Ithaca Voice reporters Anna Lamb and Matt Butler, who was just speaking with us about uh, the events of a rally held on in Ithaca on uh, Saturday, October 3rd, where a number of uh, dozens of pro-Trump um, ralliers showed up to the parking lot of Staples on uh, Meadow Street to uh, support the president. And um, you were speaking about, you know, the, some of the clashes that have um, 
come between the Black Lives Matter protesters and um, the pro-Trump supporters that we've seen. Well, speaking generally, the last rally of the kind for the latter was a Blue Lives Matter rally uh, supporting law enforcement. Um, So in in talking about that event, uh, that moves us into uh, the part of t- about of our conversation talking about this um, mural that says Black Lives Matter getting defaced on early Sunday morning, um, and again, you know, it's not clear whether the two are. Um, it's not confirmed whether the two are uh, connected or if it's a direct response to the flag, American flag getting burned last week, um, but definitely shows an escalation of this ongoing conflict between the two sides. Uh, Anna, turning to you, can you uh, talk with us about, um, you know, the footage that was released of the mural getting defaced? Just to clarify something that you and Matt were talking about, um, I did go to the uh, weekly rally on the Commons on Sunday, and from what I could tell, there didn't seem to be any of the uh, Trump rallyers who even came to listen. Um, so it seems that not only did they not take the invitation to come speak, but also it didn't really seem like any of them took the invitation to attend the rally either. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, moving to your question, Michaela, about the, the video footage of the mural defacement, it was around 3.30 in the morning um, on that same day that the Trump rally occurred, so Saturday, uh, So I guess early Sunday morning, late Saturday night, uh, a homeowner's personal security camera captured some footage of some uh, men pouring some black paint or a black paint-like substance on top of the Black Lives Lives Matter mural on the corner of Plain and MLK Jr. Street. So mostly the portion that just says, uh, black and then also the L of lives was just completely covered up. Um, and yeah, the, the homeowner whose security camera it was, uh, released the footage on social media and it blew up. And by the time the Sunday rally had occurred, uh, and the March that accompanies it every week, um, everyone had seen the footage and was pretty infuriated by the defacement and decided that they were going to sort of just occupy the space. And then, you know, I followed their march. And by the time they got to that section of Plain Street, everyone sort of collectively decided that they wanted to fix it right then and there um, and pooled their resources, you know, people through fives, tens, whatever they had, Venmoed, um, and bought paint supplies and some brushes and you know, some Dunkin' Donuts coffee for everyone. Um, And everyone just kind of pitched in and put a group effort together to restore the mural to the best accuracy they could based on some photos of it. Thanks, Anna. And we just have a a couple minutes left before uh, we turn things over to the Inquiring Socialist here on WRFI. Uh, But Anna, uh, following up on our conversation on... um, Monday night, the 5th, speaking about the uh, energy that's come with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. How many, 
did it look to you like more people showed up to the October 4th rally for Black Lives Matter? Uh, I mean, it was it was sort of this same like 50 to 75 number mm-hmm. that uh, the rallies have been hovering at for a couple of weeks. Um, but, it, you know, what's really changed, I think, is that there's a really strong youth movement mm-hmm. um, sort of emerging, like, you know, Matt mentioned, Jordan Clemens and uh, Yasmin Rashid have sort of led the rally up until this point. Uh, it does seem like some younger voices uh, are sort of taking over the conversation and really taking charge of the movement. Thanks, Anna. It's, it certainly seems like a lot of um, younger activists, you know, in, in high school, middle school, we've seen that with the uh, the call for um, climate justice uh, have really taken on um, a lot of the, um, you know, rallying cries in the past, uh, at least the year and, you know, throughout history as well. So it will be uh, interesting to see how things continue to unfold and what we continue to report on. Um, we have just one minute left, but did either of you have any uh, short comments you wanted to uh, share with our listeners before we close things out? Well, uh, just about something that, you know, we touched upon, which was any connection between the two mm-hmm. events. Um, one of the sort of right-wing activists in our community that has been at uh, the Blue Lives Matter rally and at the Trump rally uh, did go to a common council meeting early in September and told common council that they needed to remove the Black Lives Matter mural um, and said that if the city refused that himself and some other members of the public would be forced to take it into their own hands and would, quote, bill the city for their work. Um, and so it does seem that that person may have been responsible for some of the defacement or at least for inspiring some of the defacement. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anna. And, uh, and yeah, you... the only thing that I would add is the only thing I would add is that the, um, the pro-Trump supporters had clearly had enough, you know, they felt that their event went successful enough that they're planning another one on October 24th. So another Saturday coming up here, there will be another Trump rally in Ithaca. Mm-hmm. And of course the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, Truth and Justice rallies will also continue 2 p.m. on the Ithaca Commons. Anna and Matt, thank you both so much uh, for joining me on the air today once again. Uh, Matt Butler and Anna Lamb are reporters with our friends over at the Ithaca Voice. You can continue to read their coverage of the ongoing social justice movements and everything else, public education to public health, government, and whatnot uh, over at the Ithaca Voice, ithacavoice.com. And thank you both so much again. Thank you for having us, Michaela. Thanks for having me, Michaela. And of course, we'll be back tomorrow night and every weekday evening at 6 to bring you more of the stories impacting our communities. Thanks to WRFI contributor Esther Rakusin for writing our headline news today. Maureen Gilroy was my co-anchor. I'm Michaela Savitt, WRFI News Director. Have a good evening. One, two, three. WRFI.